friends, and welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for physicians who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, a Gottman leader, and a certified life and marriage coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Please help me welcome our very special guests on today's episode of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Jim and Katie Dolly. Fun fact, I first met Jim in 2013 when I invited him to come speak at the Michigan Radiological Society for Residence Conference and have seen him multiple times and Katie at WCICon and PIMDCon. So Jim and Katie are the owners of the White Coat Investor, helping to teach financial literacy to doctors and other high-income professionals. Jim is a board-certified emergency medicine physician, working shifts in the ER in between serving as the CEO. Katie is an athletic trainer and teacher by training. She currently is the chief product officer for WCI. They have been madly in love for 26 years and married for almost 24 they have four children ages 7 through 18 and love traveling and going on outdoor adventures as a family. Please welcome Dr. Jim and Katie. Hi. Yay, thanks so much for, for coming today, guys. You're very welcome. It's We're awesome to be here. here. So Victor, wants he really wants to start out asking the first two questions. So take it away, Victor. All right. So as you can see from Kate's shirt, um, we are very excited to go to Phoenix again for WCICon 23. And I'm especially excited uh, to uh, try my hand again at pickleball. So who is the better pickleball player? Jim oh, or Katie? That's a good question. She has been playing with friends once a week for months now. She has her own paddle and everything. So it's entirely possible she's better than me now. <laughs> I, I'm secretly practicing up on him. You know, that's what he doesn't know. No, it's only been about a month that I started playing in a women's league. But uh, Jim's got that the the wide arm span. So he can catch a lot of stuff. But uh, we'll see if he can live up to his new paddle at a WC icon. Yeah, yeah we, we made it to year. the, we made it to the top, uh, whatever it is, the top King's court last time, but I, but I did have a really good partner. So but I think the secret's out now about it. So, so the returning players, like my goal last year was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be ready for WC icon 23. <laughs> um, that, that girl, that goal never quite made it. I was like, I'm going to join a league and, and, and get there, but okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe this upcoming year, but I'm still excited to play. All right. Um, similar. Um, who does the driving when the both of you in the are in a car? And who's a better driver? <laughs> oh well, she's clearly the better driver. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, everybody says they're like an above average driver, right? <laughs> I am not <laughs> an above average driver. I am, I am a below average driver. There's no doubt about it. I get tickets. I get pulled over. I get in wrecks. I wreck cars. Uh, I'm oh. a below average driver. Wow. Oh my gosh, I sympathize. Oh, oh my is... gosh. Yes. What was it... Katie gonna say? I was gonna say, but he doesn't actually get tickets. He get he talks some way out of tickets every time. Even just yesterday, he's got his line of sorry, I should know better. I'm an emergency doc, and he gets out of tickets all the time. Oh. I got pulled over doing 58 and a 40 yesterday. And oh. he, didn't, he didn't even run my license. It was great. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So I ran my car into a pole a couple of weekends ago when I was supposed to be on call and then I missed a, I missed a shift. So I was like getting to work, ran into a pole. And I tell you the damage was probably about three to four, maybe $5,000, depending on where I went in Dallas. So my nanny took it to her cousin and I paid $700 and it's beautiful. Nice. Okay, so the, the, what what she likes to leave out of the story is this telephone pole is three feet from our property line. <laughs> it is the alley right behind our driveway, and we specifically bought a car last year with 360 degree cameras, <laughs> specifically because of this pole. It's really not 360; it's really only like 350. So yeah, and, and the I, poles in that 10 degrees. I got to the car that night. And I was like, where did you dent this car? And then I saw, I said, how did you dent the car here? It was across two panels. So it was terrible. So yes. Okay. This, this is really good. But These are things on. I haven't learned from like the Facebook forum yeah. or other. Yeah, we don't, yeah. I got I to gotta put a couple caveats on it though here, right? <laughs> I'm actually a better driver in the snow. I'm a better driver off-road. I usually drive when we're pulling a trailer. And the uh, boat? But, Who drives we, the boat? Yeah, the boat. The boat. We, we, we both drive. But uh, we both drive. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's really we both try to get out of driving so that we can do something else. You know? It's it's the it's the who gets their computer in the other seat first that yeah. so they can work while the other's driving. Yeah, that's but, what that's what we've been doing a lot the last few years is working while the other person's driving. So. Okay, what do you haul the whole family in? What's your main family hauler? Well, this makes it really easy because uh, we we like Toyota Sequoias. Uh -huh. We liked yeah. it so much that uh, we fought over the one we had, and so we ended up just buying another one. <laughs> Exactly. We have two Toyota Sequoias. We're actually single-handedly trying to ruin the planet. Yeah, we have three Kia Carnivals. So, <laughs> and our nanny has one. So there can be four parked outside our house at any given moment. All right. Okay. So on to the, the juice of the show. What I always start off every podcast asking my guests is your love story. Take us back. Take us back 26 years. Tell us how you fall in love. What was that like? And either can go first. <laughs> well, Jim would say that he met me first and I didn't meet him for an another couple months. Uh, we were at school at, at Brigham Young University and we were at a activity, church activity one night at, at somebody's pool. And I was in a hot tub. I'd hurt my knee playing some indoor soccer and I was just doing rehab on my knee. And he came and got in the hot tub and thought that quite highly of me. But I guess I didn't. He, he thinks I didn't pay much attention, though. It yeah, she was in the hot tub rehabbing her knee. Yeah. <laughs> so it did take him a couple months after that before he actually finally asked me on a date. This was probably in October, and he finally got around to asking me on a date in January. What, what grade are you guys in at this time? <laughs> like we freshman were, year uh, college? We were in uh, college. I was probably a junior. We were probably juniors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. And you have the and you have the same recollection of the story. Well, she doesn't have any recollection of meeting me, you know, if that's what you mean. But I, I do have a recollection of this smoking hot woman sitting in the hot tub. Yes. <laughs> and so when what were your guys's what were you majoring? Were you pre-med, Jim? I was pre-med. Yeah. I mean, okay. this was uh this was probably five months before I took the MCAT. Okay. And then, so when did the finances come into the picture? Like, when did you develop this interest in finance? Uh, residency. <laughs> Getting paid. Yeah. yeah. Like everybody else. You don't care until it actually becomes useful knowledge. I had zero interest in business or finance or investing as an undergrad. 
in med school, minimal, you know, I remember going to a lecture once, a lunch and learn where it was, uh, he was like an accountant married to a family practice doc and he gave a talk and that was it for my financial training in med school. And, um, and after getting ripped off in residency for like the fifth or sixth time, I finally realized I got to start learning this stuff or I'm just going to be taken advantage of over and over and over again. I mean, I, I was probably a little bit interested in it, but I didn't know anything about it. I was financially illiterate as an intern. Mm. And, um, and there was like a recommended financial advisor that everybody talked about. So we went and met with them and, you know, of course they started us out in some loaded funds and. So on vacation, one time, Jim picked up mutual funds for dummies and he started reading it and realizing we were getting hosed. And um, that's when he really started diving in. And luckily there was a used bookstore next door to us in Tucson. So he just started going and buying all these, whatever used finance books. And some are great and some are terrible, but that it was just all self-education. And then as he started participating in online forums and he got to the point of answering more questions than he was asking. And that's where he decided, you know, I just need to put it out there so I can just send a link instead of having to type the same thing over and over. Yes. Yeah. And were you interested too, Katie, in learning? Yeah, to a, yeah, to a degree, you know, but he really took off with it. You know, we were both very frugal and, you know, managing money and new savings were important. But as far as like the investing piece, mm. you know, we'd had, I'd had some stocks from my grandparents growing up and understood a little bit, but not understanding the basics of, of mutual funds and, we it, had to start learning. It became a hobby for me, right? After reading a few books, I'm like, this is interesting. This is cool. I like it. I like talking about it. I like reading about it. It became a hobby. I became a hobbyist. Katie had interest, but it, not, it wasn't like a hobby. You know, she wouldn't, if she listed off her top five hobbies, finances <laughs> wouldn't have been one of them, right? Uh, whereas at that point, it, it probably was for me. Now, were you working at this time, Katie? Um, I worked for that first year and then we'd had our first daughter. And so I was stay at home and doing some nannying for other residents' kids at the time. And you worked all throughout when he was in medical school too, right? Then yeah, I, I was working on a graduate degree and then I was working part-time the whole time. We got married just before he started medical school. So um, I was there the full four years. <laughs> she was a ski instructor at Solitude <laughs> Ski Resort. So we got Wow. She got a free season pass and I got a $10 season pass. So it was, it was a pretty sweet deal. Wow. Amazing. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. If yeah, too bad. I don't like, don't too bad. I don't ski. Yeah. I mean, you don't ski yet. there's still, time. Yeah. you know, Kate's father grew up in, in Fort Collins, Colorado. So, um, I constantly want to go back there, but she reads a lot of broken bones. I see ACL tears. I don't want to do that. <laughs> So a ski instructor, if you were to, and you have had four children, but when would you recommend if a child starts <laughs> to ski, what age would you recommend would be the, the best age to start learning? Because I, I didn't start until I was 23. Right. I mean, I think three, four is probably the sweet spot. Well, three to five, you know, it sort of depends on the kid. Um, I mean, we have pictures of all our kids at like 18 months with a pacifier in their mouth, you know, skiing down the mountain, but um <laughs> Wow. So, but but I think if you wait too long, then they start to develop different fears. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. You know, that four or five, they're still like fearless. Yeah. And, and their center uh, of gravity is super low. So they yeah, just, and, just yeah, kind of fall and, and they get up, all get up. Right. And they're, they're lightweight. It doesn't take a lot for them to stop. I mean, you teach them the basics of pizza and French fries and, you know, they just have fun. They just think it's fun. As yeah. they get a lot older, they start to just develop fears that are a lot. And right. I mean, adults are really hard to teach because they're so stiff. They don't know how to relax into it to learn how to control their skis. 
Mm-hmm. Our, th- yeah. our three oldest are double black diamond skiers and our uh, youngest is uh, can do all the blue squares, but still struggling with some of the black diamonds. So. Okay. Any, any serious injuries? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think not from skiing. <laughs> yeah, knock, knock on wood, but no, I mean, they've got their helmets and everything on, but no, okay. not skiing. We'll have to take enough of you fall out of a ski lift if that counts, but the kids have done okay. Um, okay. <laughs> so how often do you take them since you live so close to a resort? Um, we, we try to go up a couple times a month. It just sort of depends on whatever, everything else we have going on. They have season passes. Right. Um, so they get up five to 10 times a season and it just sort of okay. depends on what we Excellent. And they like this better or less than uh, rock climbing? Uh, you know, it, it sort of depends on the kid. Sometimes it's almost like you got to drag them out and have some forced family fun on either <laughs> one of them. You know, some of them just want to uh, just hang out in their bedroom. So regardless of the activity, there's sometimes a little bit of, you'll have fun once you get there. <laughs> yeah. yes. We have a tradition where we take them each to climb the Grand Teton uh, as they get older and and we keep bumping that age that we take them older and older. We started at 11. That was probably a little young. And then I think we took Marin at 13. And yeah. Jonas will be 14 by the time he goes. And there's kind of a, a sweet spot for climbing for sure. When they're too young, you can you can go do basic top roping stuff. But you don't necessarily want to drag them up a mountain. Fun. They're, they're all pretty proficient climbers. And we have a rock climbing wall in our house. So they all go up, fly up and down that all the time. <laughs> Actually, our youngest may turn out to be the best climber of all of them. <laughs> well, let's go back. Let's go back 24 years again and tell me what the division of finances in your household looked like then compared to now. Wow. Way back then. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I did a blog post a few years ago about one of our first budgets that first year or two that we were married. And it was pathetic to look at <laughs> how little we lived on, you know, and one of the expenses was like a, uh, was a, a card that you use to make long distance calls. You know, this is kind of aging us, right? But you, you type in like 50 numbers, to right, call a, long, a pin number. Like, why? Yeah. like, Oh, I put in the wrong number. And you have to start all over. It'd take you like three minutes to place a long distance call. Right. Instead of just telling Siri to call grandma. Yes. But, uh, um, so it was kind of fun. We did everything together in medical school. Uh, Katie, and I probably made about the same amount of money in medical school. I was getting paid on the HPSP scholarship. Mm-hmm. And she, of course, was working part-time all the way through, uh, full-time for a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was probably about even as far as what we were making money. And we just kind of managed money together, did a monthly budget each month. Um, and then as we moved into residency, Katie took over. And I did nothing with finances for three years. Um, and then coming out of residency, I started doing more and more. And at some point was probably doing almost everything with finances, I'll bet. Then a few years are coming out of residency. And now we're kind of back to a more balanced model where we're each doing about half of it. So in terms of personal and business, how does that end up working out? The bookkeeping and things like that. Um, as well, as far as our personal stuff. So I tend to manage more of like, managing the spending and, and what's happening there. Jim sort of manages the investment side of things. Um, as far as the business stuff, you know, he's managing where money needs to move, but we also have- No, uh, we outsourced all I, that I, in 2014. I, yeah. <laughs> we don't manage the business money. and pay somebody to do that. So we haven't done bookkeeping for the business for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, don't do the taxes for the business. Um, that sounds really, really, bills. really nice. But you do your own personal returns still, don't you? 
Uh, I stopped doing that about two years ago. Oh, okay. After you got uh, like 200 pages it, long, you said, it, okay. <laughs> well, it got crazy. You know what did, All the me state returns. what did me in was I had so many states to file yeah. in. I couldn't yeah. figure out which states I was required to file in <laughs> from a bunch of real estate K-1s. Right. And yeah. I was like, all right, this is just taking up too much of my time. My time's worth more than this. Yeah. And we've been paying somebody to do our personal returns as well the last two years. And the business returns for about the last three years. I was still filing the returns for the business up until three years ago, but now we've outsourced that as well. Okay. But do you still have to like spend hours and weeks categorizing everything and getting receipts together and all that kind of stuff? Uh, our budget now has one category. We call, <laughs> okay. it, we call it spending. Spent. <laughs> okay. So, for the, so, for the so literally we have charity, we have taxes. And we spending. have spending and everything else gets saved. That's right. basically our budgeting process now. Okay. Katie goes through our spending and adds it up and makes sure there's not fraudulent charges each month. Mm. She she does more transactions than I do. She does more of the spending, you know, by number of transactions. So that's her job. She keeps track of it better than I do. Um, but that's about the extent of our budgeting. It's basically, we just want to know how much we spent so we know how much to save and invest. Okay. Yeah, we we've um she actually yeah she does basically does that. I she, do that too. I go goes, through every line on the credit card. She just makes sure everything is kosher and pays them. And uh, and I I hate looking at I hate looking at. <laughs> you can't look at money. It gets really. really I, I hate looking at everything we spend our money on. Like I just want to see the money coming in and know how much went out and that we have this gap. And every month I just okay we're we're piling it on and it, it's fine, but. I just can't handle looking at individual expenses. Yeah, you, you and Jim both. He's always like, how many transactions did we have this? Like just the number of transactions, yeah. right. you know? And so to look at that drives him nuts. And so that's why I manage that side of things because he still likes to live like 20 years ago with like what groceries cost. He's <laughs> yeah. like, why are we spending so much on groceries? Because that's what they cost nowadays. Yeah. Why are we cutting each other's hair? Right? Like that's what Victor wants to know. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I went to Home Depot today. And I try not to ever go there, but I, I did today. And I picked up a couple things of bleach for our housekeeper. It's like a gallon of Clorox was like nine fifty. Oh, like, I was like, shouldn't be not this. at Costco. Mm -mm. It shouldn't be this expensive. <laughs> but I was like, the housekeeper was at the house doing a deep clean of our rentals. And I was like, I'm just going to go buy everything and dump it off. And I'm going to get home and, and do this. But I was like, nine fifty. that just seems like it's way too much. But yeah. You know, I had sticker shock just yesterday. I dropped off suits at the dry cleaners for WC Icon. Uh -huh. It's $18 to dry clean a suit now. You can buy a suit. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys get out of here. Okay, Jim, Jim. Okay, I'm going to ask you a deeply emotional question here. Let's see what your answer is. How does it feel to be the leader? You know, of course, we've got Katie. We're going to come to her next. But how does it feel to be the leader of the White Coat Investor? Uh, it's too much pressure. It's pressure. So I try to diffuse that out as much as I can, not only to the staff, but really to the whole community. Right. I mean, I, I, this is not like a, a guru and follower situation. We're trying to build a community where everybody's helping each other. I mean, just look at the conference. Right. I mean, there's like 50 faculty at the conference. I'm only one of them. You know, if you look at the people uh, posting on the WCI blog, you know, we got six or seven or eight columnists now. I'm just one of them. Now, when did your mindset mindset shift to this regard? Because you were initially a true solopreneur, 
All right. And yeah, not have a, a no, big. I mean, I was doing everything. I was selling right. the ads. I was the chief right. tech officer. I was doing everything, you know, right. for three or four years. And right. then even after that, I had one part timer helping me for two or three more. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh. then Katie came on another part timer, another part timer. It wasn't until 2020 that we had anybody working full time at WCI. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, the first nine years was, you know, a part time operation. Mm-hmm. um well, and so we yeah got, we really got to a point in fall of 2019 that he was just feeling really burned out and he's like i don't yeah. enjoy it anymore and so we looked at it and it's like we either have to do less or we have to hire more people to sort of support where it had grown to and that's what we ultimately decided to do is we just need to hire more and let it keep growing and keep sharing that message because that's what we're really passionate about is the mission of the white coat investor and trying to help docs and other high-end professionals get their finances in order so that they can live a really good life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other okay. thing is we want it, we want it to outlive us. All right. Yes. Right? We've created something that's doing a lot of good. Um, we're not going to live forever, but there's no reason that this company, this institution, this community, whatever you want to call it, can't outlive us. And so that's kind of the direction we're going. You know, the changes we've made in the last two or three years are kind of uh, the bus plan, right? If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, How do we make it so this doesn't die with me? And I think we've made huge strides in the last three years for that. Now, obviously there's, you know, we look at our surveys we do every year and there's people that are like, I'm just here for gym stuff. That's all I want. You know, Uh, tell me when someone else is hosting the podcast so I don't have to listen to it, you know? Uh, And there's always going to be people like that. And, but I'm not going to be here forever. I don't know. Maybe I will do this for 20 or 30 more years. You never know, but, but I'm not going to be here forever. And, uh, and we'd like it to outlive us. And, and so I can't be the center of it. I can't be, you know, the end all be all of WCI if it's going to outlive us. No, that's a really good, really good point. So Katie, yeah, what is it like being the woman in front of the white coat investor? I, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, you know, it's had its, its challenges as we've learned to just balance it out of, you know, business and family. And, you know, sometimes I'm annoyed about him about something business related because we don't agree on it. And it's like, makes it tricky to not let that come into your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's been a great ride to be there as a support and to help, you know, manage so much of the other stuff so that he had time to be working full-time as a doc and doing this hobby um, on the side. And now sort of the roles have reversed that now his doctoring is, we joke as his well-paid hobby um well that's, not, that's not the only role that's reversed people may not realize this but katie spends more hours on wci than i do that's what i was going to ask next because yeah. you have uh, your you have this business and then you also have four kids let's not forget about this yeah. so so how many hours uh katie do you think you're putting into the business versus the family and, uh, you know, that, that, it's a good question because they mix a lot you know right. and they ebb and flow yeah you know at a basketball game, but I'm still, you know, working on the computer during the, you know, halftime and whatnot. Um, it depends. Right now, I, you know, we're we're a week out from conference. I'm working probably eight, 10 hour days, but typically probably about four hours a day um, of work, maybe more. It just depends on what's going on. And then just trying to manage kids stuff on the side. Luckily, our, all the kids are in school now full time. And so I've got that time between you know nine and about 2 30 of no kids does your oldest child drive the rest of the kids to school or are you uh, our, old, our oldest is actually in college now this okay. year 
Um, our second just got her license in December, but she's the only one at the high school. So um, the bus drives the other two to school, which is great. <laughs> okay. And when you're saying that, you know, the eight to 10 hour days or four hour days on when you're not preparing for the conference, are you talking about weekends too, or you take your weekends off? I, I really, I try to take the weekends off when I, as much as possible. I'm really trying to set boundaries. And even some days I may work, you know, a full day on Monday and then only an hour or two on Tuesday. So I can, you know, do things that I also want to do. So it's finding mm-hmm. that balance of, you know, I enjoying the work, but realizing, um, it's important to also take care of yourself too, because it's not that I have to necessarily work for, uh, to support our family. So having that balance and having boundaries is important. Right. Yeah. And I know, I know you guys, um, put a lot of value on in investing in your marriage, right? Like keeping your, your, your relationship high up on the party list. How do you guys do that? How do you invest in your marriage? Well, that's, that's what I told Jim for Christmas. All I wanted was uh, him to plan a date. And so he actually planned like two months of dates. So it was awesome. I planned 10 dates. And what she does is cancel two of them. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Eight for 10. That's incredible. Okay. Okay, Yeah. It was just, there was schedule conflicts on the days that (laughs) planned to go back country skiing. And I had, you know, that's like a three or four hour date. And Okay, so the other eight though, what 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 are these dates? Now that we're getting give give you all these ideas, uh, and Jim's well, a romantic at heart. Sometimes it's just going up to the ski. I mean, this is winter, right? It's January and February, so it's going to the ski resort, go skiing, uh, go to the temple together. Um, one of them we haven't done yet is go get fitted for golf clubs because every now and then we play golf. We don't play very often, but we're still using like thirty year old golf clubs, and it's like we are not poor. We don't have to have crappy clubs. Why don't we have clubs that actually help us shoot better? You know, you I've been know, telling myself be that, that in a couple of weeks. This whole year, I'm like, we are not poor. And like, it's so hard to change these habits. And I'm like, like, why? We're not poor. Why are we buying these things that I know I'm going to have to replace in a year? Just buy the right thing. Yes, we no longer need to shop at Ikea for every single household purchase. <laughs> Which actually is getting expensive too. But anyhow, um, Okay. Now this is, this is really good. When do you do your, your, your date days or is it, does it vary or do you do block out a time? Well, we have to block out a time or it doesn't happen. I mean, like, is it a particular time of the week that continue every week? It's like well, Wednesday is date day or no, our schedules are too irregular, right? I mean, I'm still a practicing emergency doc. Mm-hmm. So I work on random days, weekends, holidays, you know, um, and, uh, and then WCI stuff's very, very random as well. Right. Um, Katie works a fairly regular WCI schedule, you know, it tends to be mostly weekdays. Uh, I tend to work every day if I have cell phone coverage, you know, I'm not nearly as good at boundaries as she is. So I'll often put in at least an hour every day that unless I'm in the wilderness, uh, into WCI, but, uh, you know, so it ends up being Wednesday morning and Thursday afternoon and, and Friday evening and you know, Saturday morning and, and it's just a random time. It's different every time. Right. It just, yeah, a lot of, it's a lot of daytime stuff because, you know, we're not planning around kids activities. Evenings start to get hard because of evening activities or he had a hockey game or sometimes I'll go watch his hockey game. We'll go to dinner after. Um, so it just sort of depends on the schedule. I don't like it when she does that though. I, I tend to get thrown out of games when that happens. So <laughs> what? Okay. So now you have employees. How many full-time slash part-time regular basis employees do you have and who manages them because now that becomes a job in itself right there's there's 15 on our staff staff so that includes Jim and I so 13 employees but then we have also contractors writers and AV 
and other people that help out too um, on a contract basis. So we have, uh, we've hired a, C hired a COO in March of 2020 and he's done an awesome job and he takes on a lot of that role of managing people because that's, Jim does not like to manage people. So um, he Me manages too. a lot of the day, day plus, day plus I'm not that good at it. You exactly. Know, all I, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> are all better at their job than I was when I was doing their job. Mm, okay. Okay. So what, and you guys can each answer together or separately. What is the best financial decision you have ever made in your life? And would you recommend your children or your followers to do the same? I'm really curious what you're going to answer. The best financial decision was probably marrying Jim. Um, <laughs> just because he's, you know, financially like not a big spender. He's a saver. Um, I think that's the biggest struggle people run into in their relationships is you have one that's really frugal and one that's a big spender. Uh, so Matt, marrying somebody that was on the same page, similarly financially as I was now we joke though. He brought all the debt into the marriage and I brought all the money. It was five grand. All right. Five grand. That's all <laughs> I brought in. What? I was a college graduate with five grand of debt to my name. And she's been holding over my head ever since. <laughs> that's what that that's her job so <laughs> um but no i think that's probably the best financial decision that yeah. i've and, made and to be fair she only brought 20 grand into the marriage right it's not <laughs> like we were hugely different but it is true she brought all the assets in i brought all the debt in yeah the same for us i had just debt and basically no money and she had some money and less debt um when we got married but uh, we both had a bunch of mezcal debt so that was, yeah. Yeah. yeah if my bank account didn't have $10,000 in it as a resident and, or a medical student, I, I thought I was going to go broke. Yeah. I never had five figures into my bank account until I was an attending. That never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I got my school disbursement of a student loan and then it got spent. So like for days it would be there, but yeah, no, yeah. I, I never had that much. So yeah. Similar. Okay. Now, Jim. yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh yes. Uh, so I think the best financial decision we ever made was to actually sit down and have a meeting together every month from the very first month we were married and create a written budget, a written spending plan, whatever you want to call it. And we've got one of those in an Excel file somewhere for every one of those months we've been married, whatever 24 times 12 is. That's how many of these Excel sheets we have. And I can tell you basically, you know, Maybe not in the last few years, the exact details of where the money went, but we can tell you what we spent every month of our marriage and doing that month after month after month, you know, obviously it becomes easier as time goes on and you start, you know, putting in as many shortcuts as you can, but it was impossible to have really a good money fight. You know, we've had plenty of fights, uh, <laughs> but never about money. You know, 24 years of marriage, we've never fought about money. And I think there's something to be said for that. So I would say that's the best thing we ever did financially. Best financial decision was just managing money together from the very beginning. And, and I think one of those two, having that meeting, one thing that was we did from the get go was there was always money set aside that we each had a budget. Now, granted, it was like 20 bucks when we were first married that you could spend on whatever you wanted and you didn't have to be accountable to the other person. So it was nice to know you had that flexibility that you had some spending that you could, you know, because we want to spend on different things. And 
the other person can't judge you for what you spend your money on. We we only got rid of that like three or four years ago. It's <laughs> hilarious, right? It's we like, still have it. <laughs> why are we doing this? We I have know. so much money. You can buy whatever you want. I know. It's hilarious. So we, we finally we got much, rid of that. But. Yeah, we're the same way. And uh, when we started, we've never had a fight about money, which is awesome, uh, even when we were broke. Um, but when we just started, we said, okay, after the first year of marriage, when I saw how much it cost for her to get her hair did, um, which, which I is just like a third or a fourth of the cost it costs now. I, 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 I honestly, I couldn't conceptualize that cost on hair, but I'm a, I'm a guy and that's just how it is. But I was like, I just don't need to see that. So then we decided, okay, you're going to have this little pot and I'm going to have this little pot and your pot is going to be bigger because certain expenses are definitely more for women. I can't change that. So we'll make it fair. You'll get an extra like hundred dollars a month. 75. Yeah, so, and 75. We've, actually, we've never actually changed that amount since we got married in like 2015. <laughs> and and I look at this every year and we used to do it every month. And now I just once a year put money into my account. And so she does the same, but I'm, I still look at it. I'm like, this is ridiculous now. This is like less than a fraction of 1% of, of our income. Like nobody would ever know you know, but you just get in that habit and it's kind of nice. She can spend on me for presents and I can spend on her for presents and you don't feel like you're using each other's money for it. It's, it's worked out, you know, who knows how long we'll keep it up, but it's in place already. So sometimes it's just easier to I'm, keep. I'm going to guess not much longer. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. It will help simplify the number of credit cards we have, but okay. Now go ahead. What do we have next? So I ask all my guests this, what makes a marriage successful you go first communication communication has got to be the key um you know everybody has expectations and uncommunicated expectations are really hard to fulfill it turns out <laughs> um you know you can spend a lot of time together and still not be able to read your partner's mind <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think when we've had the biggest problems, it's been poor communication, lack of communication, um, that sort of thing. So I, I'd say communication is the key. I mean, it helps to get started on the right page, right? I mean, you look at what people have the big fights over in marriages. You know, people fight about finances. They fight about religion. These days, people fight about politics. They fight about sex. They fight about in-laws. They fight about child rearing, those sorts of things. So as many of those as you can get on the same page on, the fewer fights you'll have. But there's no way you're going to line up on everything, right? And so communication's got to be the key. Yep. Katie? I think just helping, you know, if you're trying to help meet the needs of your spouse and your spouse is doing likewise, it's really hard to not have a strong marriage when you're trying to serve each other and um, help and support and in whatever way, you know, and you can just see, hey, you know, they're really busy and they need their scrubs washed or what, you know, whatever it is that I think just having that attitude of service, I think we want to th think about, oh, you know, look at all these things that are not being done for me, but I think if we're looking outside. Um, and how to help is the best way. I mean, it's so hard to be married long-term, right? That if you put anything else before that, it's not going to work. If the career comes before the marriage, if the kids come before the marriage, if the business comes before the marriage, if your hobbies come before the marriage, the marriage is not going to work out long-term. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. It's too long of a time period. Uh, there's too many challenges involved in it. It has to come first. That is really good. I mean, if you think about investing in an individual stock, and it's a 50-year hold, 
I mean, if you look at the top 10 companies in the United States over the past 50 years, I mean, it's incredible. 50 years ago, you know, we didn't have Amazon or Google and Facebook and 50 years from now, it might not be those three, right? Um, and it's it's more than that because we're looking it'd be, at- It'd be Polaroid and, and IBM and- Right, what companies have Kodak, lasted 50 years? Yeah. So that's actually, uh, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, We're always changing our, our love maps, which is basically our brains always changing. And if we're not communicating and figuring that out, then we're, we're, we're falling behind. Yeah. Okay. Now, now that you've gotten to where you are financially, <laughs> which is as they say in crazy rich Asians, comfortable, right? <laughs> um, I imagine you've loosened the purse strings a little bit, even though it's hard. And it's something that I've also gotten myself to do. We actually bought like three cars in cash last year. Um, and that was the first time we had spending boluses like that. Um, now did, that did you gotten... get a discount though, buying three uh, Kia Carnivals at the same time? <laughs> well, I actually didn't know where I was going to get one from because the wait lists were so long that I just put in multiple orders. <laughs> I thought that I'd get one and keep it and cancel the others. Then we liked it so much. We're like, okay, We'll get the second one when it came. And then we got the third. All from different states. They were all coming from different <laughs> I places. I just ordered wherever that could get an allocation. So um, it's the only car that we can fit our three rear-facing kids in easily and get them out for school drop-off easily. Yeah, because our five-and-a-half-year-old is still rear-facing. So um, how have you loosened the purse strings? And, and give us a good example. Well, I think the first time we really... I mean, we came out of a live like a resident period, right? This was very deliberate for us. You yes. know, we talk about live like a resident. People make fun of live like a resident. You know, <laughs> people reach success by living like a resident. We actually did this, right? right? For four years coming out of medical school, we intentionally lived very cheap. It wasn't a great neighborhood. It wasn't a great house. They were not great cars. We intentionally did that, knowing that I'd get out of the military after four years, we'd get a raise. We'd spend more money. We'd get a doctor home, et cetera. That was our plan. It worked out great. So that was the first time we really loosened the purse strings. I mean, I guess it felt like just coming out of residency, we loosened the purse strings. We got a second cell phone. Right. You know, that was cool. What? <laughs> you know, we it, got a second car. So I guess that was kind of <laughs> loosening the purse strings. Well, and, and that wasn't but all really, it was coming out of residency was the first time or coming out of the military was the first time we loosened the purse strings. Yeah. But there was a very deliberate um you know time a few years after that when we're like okay now we're making it we've become millionaires we can start spending more money and that was probably 2015 this is four years after starting wci wci is still not really making any money right uh it's starting to make some money but it's nowhere near what my clinical income is still at that point and we decided we we're going to buy a boat upgrade a boat we had a beater boat already but we decided to buy a nice boat we bought it brand new we ordered it we picked out the colors and the vinyl and all the features and it was a big deal it was a big purchase and the year after that we bought our first brand new car and so there was a very deliberate process i think in 2015 where we acknowledged okay we're not poor anymore uh we don't want to be the richest person in the graveyard we're going to start spending some money um, and you know, as the years went on, uh, we've probably been financially independent since 2018 ish or so. And at this point we're still working, making as much or more than ever before. And so we basically, if we want something that we think will make us even slightly more happy, we just buy it. Mm -hmm. So the purse strings are ultimately loosened at this point. And it turns out we didn't really want to spend all that much more than we were spending anyway. So. 
Katie, what's your best example of something you've splurged on? Um, I think best example is just, you know, we're, we travel a lot more as a family and we'll travel over Christmas and buy tickets two months ahead. She feels bad because she's like, oh, we can't fly on that day. It's more expensive. And I'm we like, need to fly on yes. Tuesday. Are we broke? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to do that. Make those decisions. So one day anymore. later, it'll be cheaper. $50 cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> the frugal habits are, are hard to overcome sometimes. They so. are hard. Yeah. Now, um, so I think that's a, that's one of the big things is just traveling international internationally with the kids um, mm -hmm. is something we really, you know, loosen the purse strings on. We're still flying and, you know, coach or whatever. Um, Are you using a tent when you get there? <laughs> no, no, not, not usually a tent. Not usually. A... Depends on the trip. Right, exactly. Um, but, so, yeah, that's, but I, that's we went, it. We went to Columbia for Christmas. Uh, we're taking the kids to England and France. Yeah, in, six tickets uh, is, you know, at the yeah. start of the summer. And so you, when you buy six tickets, it adds up. That's How many hotel rooms do you get when you travel? two most of the time now it just yeah it we're getting suites and airbnbs more yeah, now we're yeah. getting houses is what we're right. getting most right. of the mm -hmm. time so that usually ends up being like a three-bedroom house and everybody has to share a room mm -hmm. that's typically what we're getting they have their own room at home but when we go on vacation they have to share yeah um but for a long time it was one room yeah, yeah. We, i mean we, cr we crammed them in for sure <laughs> I mean, even over spring break last year there was we were one night in baltimore like landing and then taking off first thing the next morning. And we just got one room. There were two bed, two double beds and a pullout bed and crammed everybody in there. I'm like, you just got to sleep for six hours or eight hours. And then we're getting up and going. So right, that's not why you're here. You're well, not, I mean, if they're used to, they're used to camping, right? So if you, right. if you have, if you had that experience of camping, everything is a luxury. So, <laughs> okay. So if we had to go back 25 years and talk to you, right, Katie, you went back and talked to Katie, Jim, you went back and talked to Jim. What piece of advice would you give yourself? Or what would you say? What a, would you say? Is this about finances or is this Anything. about life? No, just this is life. What would you say to yourself? I think probably don't sweat the small stuff. I think sometimes we get caught up in the minutiae of things instead of, and we get so tunnel visioned and we just can't, you got to step back and look at the big picture and like, does that really matter? Is that really worth getting upset about or? you know, we, too much of that just fills up our life and our emotions and everything else. Uh, I think a piece of financial advice I would pass along and that I have passed along to a lot of people because I can see their future in a way that they can't. <laughs> and I tell you see them, the train wreck you about are to happen. going to be financially successful. You are going to be wealthy. You don't know it yet, but I know it looking at your habits, looking at your knowledge, looking at the questions you're asking me, I know what your life's going to look like in 20 or 25 years. And I tell them to quit worrying about little stuff, like you mentioned, uh, maybe not be so debt averse. Um, you know, go ahead and loosen the purse strings a little bit earlier, you know. Now, there's plenty of people out there that have spending problems. Don't get me right. wrong. The average doctor has a spending problem and doesn't right. need to be given this advice. Right. But I was like these doctors I'm talking to, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I was a little more debt averse. I let that aversion maybe uh, affect how I live my financial life, maybe more than I should have, uh, that sort of thing. I would have told myself that you're going to be wealthy, um, quit fixating on little things and, and, you know, live a, live a robust life now. I that think is really is good. The financial advice I probably would have given myself because I'm a natural saver, yeah. you know, and other natural savers need people to tell them that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, that was, that was good. Okay, guys. So any other parting words of wisdom as it relates to medicine, marriage, or money? Anything we haven't covered or? I, I think the most important thing is the medicine is going to take care of the money. Okay. So the money should not be a big thing. Figuring out how to manage money is not that hard. It'll take a little bit of work up front, but you can figure that out. But as far as the other two, remember that when the medicine is gone, the marriage is still going to be there. So it's got to be the priority. It's got to be the priority, friends. Perfect. And where can people find you? I think the best place is whitecoatinvestor.com. But everything we do, whether it's online courses or books or blogs or newsletters or podcasts is all under the brand name White Coat Investor. So check out all things White Coat Investor. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having us. What an amazing episode with Dr. Jim and Katie Dolly. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that actually came onto my podcast. I never even thought I would ask them because, you know, it's white coat investor, but they came, they came. So my take-home points are number one, don't sweat the small stuff. And I love this because I feel like a lot of the arguments and fights that many couples get into are the small stuff. So just, you know, can you can you decide ahead of time that you're going to give your partner, your spouse, the benefit of the doubt when small stuff comes up and you're just not going to sweat it. You're going to be able to move on, hold their hand, say, it's okay. I love you anyway. And I hope you took into account the fact that when Katie, <laughs> when Katie said, this is what I need. All I want for Christmas is to you, for you to plan a date night. And she communicated that with him. She told him, I wanted you to plan a date night. And then Jim went ahead and planned two months worth of date nights, 10 date nights. And, you know, even though Katie did cancel two of them, she expressed what she needed. She communicated, right? Over-communication is better than under-communication. So if you never express what your needs are, your wants, and they'll never be fulfilled. Now, unless you fulfill them for yourself, and even if you do express your needs, if your spouse doesn't fulfill them, will you be able to fulfill them yourself? So if they don't plan the date nights, what are you going to do? Are you going to plan them yourself? Uh, I don't know. You get to make that decision when it happens. But if you don't communicate and you don't express your needs, your spouse will not anticipate your needs. And number three, are you a saver? Are you a natural saver or spender? If you're the saver, if you're a saver, you're a little bit more frugal than the average. Have you told yourself to stop worrying yet? Have you told yourself to loosen the purse strings, that it's okay. You don't have to be the richest man in the graveyard or woman in the graveyard or richest person in the graveyard. It is okay to spend a little bit. You are going to be wealthy. If you can believe that you will be worthy, worthy, wealthy, wealthy, and whatever definition that applies to you, whether that's finances, relationships, time, geography, however you choose to be wealthy, if you tell yourself you will be wealthy, believe it, speak it into existence, it will happen. So why not just start telling yourself now and stop worrying about whether you need to hoard your pennies and your dimes and your nickels uh, and still, you know, 
make sure that you're not spending too much on that dining room set or whatever it is, right? That car, like still driving that beater. And yes, of course, um, we drove cars that we had for years and years and years. I still have a car that I still had a car up until a few months ago that was from medical school that I was using and driving. And we had slowly upgraded and eventually given that car away to my nanny's son who needed a lot more than we needed it. Uh, So just tell yourself, you know, it's okay. You are a natural, frugal saver. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be okay. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, how can I invest in my marriage this week? How can I give my spouse the benefit of the doubt next time we get into an argument? How can I make my marriage even more successful? And how can I leave a love story, legacy, example for my children? How can I model love for my children so that it becomes ingrained, natural, a part of their DNA? And that is it, my sweet friends. I hope you fly away, spread love and cheer and joy into this world. And check me out. Check me out at medicinemarriageandmoney.com. Send me a message on Facebook at Kate Mangona MD and join us. Join my my group coaching program, which begins March 21st, 2023, 7.30 p.m. Tuesday nights. We're going to be meeting. It's going to be amazing. If you want to enhance your love maps, increase your fondness and admiration, work on conflict management, and create deeper shared meaning in your relationship, and work on communicating and fun exercises with your spouse, come join us. We would love to help you. We are going to sell out. So it's better to get on the wait list now or sign up now. It's available. So much love, my friends. If you are finding the concepts I teach in this podcast useful and want more in-depth personalized support for your relationship, consider this your invitation to join me in creating the most connected and intimate relationship with your spouse that you could dream of. Go to medicinemarriageandmoney.com right now and download my 18-page medical marriage survival guide and workbook at no cost to you. It has been known to decrease fighting, rumination, and grudges between your loved ones. If you want to take it a step further, really enhance the joint connection in your most intimate relationship, sign up for my eight-week Making Marriage Work program today at www.medicinemarriageandmoney.com. Thanks for leaving us a five-star review and for telling your friends about the podcast. You have the power to improve someone else's life simply by sharing this podcast. You could save a marriage, someone else's marriage and your own. Much love to you and your spouse. You are exactly where you need to be in this moment. Adios, my friends. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.